no one skips a beat. That's okay. Everybody's offering their iPhones. And <laughs> just for a few moments, I'd like for us to um, just lift our voices together in the spirit. Just get them one accord tonight. Just allow the Lord to open your hearts just for a few moments. Go ahead and open your mouths and you just sing in the Holy Spirit for you, man. Of your inheritance that lies on the inside of us, God. 
I ask you, open our eyes. We want to see you tonight. Open our ears. We want to hear you tonight, Holy Spirit. Open our minds. We want to receive. Open our wounds tonight, God. We want to conceive your word. Do a new thing in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. We ask you to come right now. Lord, we break off all pretense and preconceived information, preconceived notions. We break it off right now. We ask you to have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. Have your way in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Tabernacle in this place right now. Right now, God. Right now, God. Lord, deliver us from where we've been. Bring us into the place where you would have us to dwell. Holy Spirit, do it right now. Holy Spirit, do it right now. God, that no flesh would glory in your presence. Father, we are determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Reveal your, your Son in us tonight, God. Reveal your dear Son tonight, Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus. In your mighty name, we ask you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. That's a beautiful sound. <laughs> well, I want to, um, first of all, I just thank uh, Andrew and Ellie and everybody that's here tonight for just coming. You know, this Florida boy is trying to get used to this nippy weather outside so <laughs> yesterday at home it was 80 degrees yeah 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 it's hot it's hot yeah so we need to pray that uh, a little bit of that comes up here between the night and tomorrow night I want to talk to you just uh, you know about some things that I I believe that the Lord is uh, wanting the, the church to see. Uh, and, and I want to know if it's okay if, if, we, if we share some prophetic things tonight. Yes. And uh, I, 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 I will say that, um, you know, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits and all of that stuff is good at wild crowds. But how many of you know that that's not the true prophetic yeah. The true prophetic, and, and what I mean by that statement is that in America, for example, we have seen prophetic gifting. We have seen the word of wisdom. We've seen the word of knowledge. We've seen men and women mount a platform and give information about a person's zip code and all this <coughs> other stuff. And that's good. It edifies people. It builds them up. It, it, it encourages people 
that the Lord sees them, He knows their addresses, He knows their situation, but that's not necessarily the prophetic that, uh, that the Lord is raising up in our nation in this hour. More than anything, we need the prophetic office. Whenever, whenever there's a crisis in the land, and the leadership of the church is inept in dealing with the crisis, what the Lord does is He raises up the prophetic office. Everybody say the prophetic office. Prophetic office. Now, there's a great difference between the prophetic gifting and the prophetic office. The prophetic office yeah. is a gift to the body of Christ to do certain things that... Uh, uh, and not, not, I'm not isolating the prophetic office to put it over and above anything else or any other of the... Uh, the, 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 the ministry offices that God gives to the body of Christ. But what I am saying is, the Lord uses the prophetic office in seasons, and He knows exactly when to use that specific office. Here's an example. First uh, Samuel chapter 1, we see that um, there's a, a woman named Hannah. She's barren. She's crying out to God for a son, and she makes a deal with God. She says, God, if you give me a son... I'll give him back to you and I'll dedicate him to your house and your service the rest of all of his days. God hears her, answers her prayer, gives her a son. She names him Samuel. She drops him off. He's made two, two years old. He, she drops him off at the temple. He's raised in the sight of God all of his days. But there was a dilemma in the land and... First Samuel 3, the first couple verses, talks about the conditions in Israel at the time that Samuel was born. He says that uh, the word of the Lord was rare. He says that there was no open vision or no revelation. He says that the priest's eyes were growing dim and the lamp or the light of God was, was growing dim in the temple. Now, how many of you know that's a crisis in a place where God was the center of society? When the priest's eyes are growing dim, that means that he can't see accurately. His clarity is not there. And if, if his clarity is not there, he can't lead the way he's supposed to lead. So what does God do? He raises up an expression of, of his direction in the earth and in the church in the earth at that time through the prophet Samuel. And the Bible says that, the Lord caused none of his words to fall to the ground, but something interesting happens. The first prophetic word that Samuel has is for the leadership of the church in that day. And, uh, and Samuel, in, in essence, was called to uproot some things, to throw down some things, to tear down some things, and then to build and to plant. And so that is, uh, in, in essence, that, that is what the prophetic office looks like in a measure. And um, let, let's... I didn't plan to talk about this. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 3. First Samuel 3. When you have it, just say, I got it. Got it. Man, these e-readers and you guys are quick. Let's just look at that real quick. Verse 1, it says, The child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious, for it was rare in those days. There was no open vision. That means that there was no revelation. 
know, a lot of stuff that we hear preached in the church in this hour, for the most part, in, in the Western church, is uh, self-help. Really, it's, it's humanism. Paul made a statement. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 2, and I might share a little bit more about that tomorrow night, but Paul said to the Corinthians, he says in verse 2, I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not stand on the wisdom of man, that's humanism, but in the power of God. If there's a problem when much of the preaching in the American church is about how you can have a better life. And how you can have a better marriage. And how you can be more successful in your business, that's a great problem. Even down to the worship, uh, the music, the, when, when all of our worship conferences are about how to write uh, better, uh, uh, more effective worship songs, as opposed to how to minister to the Lord on the throne and, and release true worship into heaven, God inhales it and he exhales glory in the church so that no, no man can stand and minister. You know, we want the glory of God. We, it, it, we can have uh, uh, concerts and all that kind of stuff all day long, but if God's glory is not in the house at the end of the day, what have we done? What do we really have? And I mean, this worship, I love worship. I'm a worship guy. You know what I'm saying? But we've, we, we've got to get, you know, the role of the worship leader is to get the people of God to stand in the presence of God. Once we've done that, our job is finished. As far as the people are concerned, once we've gotten the people to stand before the Lord, it's time for God to speak and, and, and for the worship leader to move out of the way. There's very little of the voice of, of God in the church because the preachers are intoxicated with their own influence and the worship leaders are, are too busy trying to get record deals and, and, and uh, you know affirmation of people who don't like them anyway. And uh, so God raises up a prophet to deal with, with certain things. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm that guy. But what I am saying is, this is what we need in the body of Christ. Yeah. We need true voices in the, in the body of Christ to address and confront issues and to say the things that people don't want to hear. You know what I'm saying? And to go to places that people don't want to go to. I've heard of, of, of preachers that don't, they won't preach in a church unless there's a certain number of people there and they get a certain amount in the offering. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. And God is judging this kind of thing and we're seeing, and we're going to see more and more in our time, in the very near future, <coughs> stars in the church fall from, from their little heavenly atmospheres that they Set up. We're going to see that. We're going to see that. And it's the mercy of God to do that on this side of time. Wow. Because God cares about His church. That's so good. But that's not what I want to talk about <laughs> tonight. I like to talk about something that is uh, rarely mentioned in the church, and that is the great importance of holiness. And uh, so if you can. Uh, turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 20. 
And I'll make a statement while we're turning there. Um, much of, much of, now, now in, in, in my honest opinion, much of what we've seen in America in a negative sense in the past uh, five or six years has not been the judgments of God. Much of what we've seen in the nation, not all, but much, some I believe, yes, I believe the chastening of, of the Lord started in this nation when our defense systems were taken down, the hedge around this nation was taken down, uh, and, and we saw kind of the manifestation of that in September 11, 2001, when uh, right here in the South, really not... 40 miles from my own house, uh, uh, men were training and preparing to hijack planes to uh, uh, smash into buildings in New York City, Washington, D.C., and, and another place that was thwarted. Um, I believe that was the beginnings of God's hand on the nation to spank her. But much of what we've seen in lieu of, uh, for instance, natural disasters, uh, what's going on in California right now, there's California has been in drought for almost two years. They've not seen much rain at all. And right now what's happening in California, um, uh, we're, we're seeing in California uh, new diseases come out of the land. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we're going to hear more about what's, what's happening in California is going to spread in the West unless the church begins to repent and pray. And it's important for all of us to understand that. It's not just the leadership, but it's the whole church. Jeremiah said that God had a great problem with the church of his day. He said the prophets prophesied falsely, yeah. but he also said that the people love to have it like that. Oh, yeah. In other words, we love to hear stuff that, that does not bother us negatively. We love to hear stuff that makes us feel comfortable in the place where we are. That's just the human condition. That's not a criticism, but it's the human condition, but it's dangerous. That's why uh, Jeremiah also said that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. The human condition, the way we are designed, what we have naturally inherited from Adam... We love compromise. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. We might not want to admit it, but we love compromise. And because we love compromise, we tolerate and, and eventually embrace and eventually after that celebrate compromised preachers. And because we do that, we eat corruption <coughs> from the pulpits of our churches. I know this probably was not what you were planning to hear tonight. Okay. But Leviticus 20, look at verse 22. I'm reading from the King James Version. It says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them so that the land where I bring you to dwell in does not spew or vomit you out. You 
See that? Yeah. Verse 23. He says, You shall not walk in the customs of the nation which I cast out before you, because they committed all these things, and therefore I hate them. Now, I want to make a couple statements here. The Lord hates certain nations that have given them themselves over to certain activities. The Lord hates, and see, that's a strong word. And, and because, and, and we just read this in the Bible, the, uh, um, King James uses the word abhor, but the word means to hate. Hold there and go to uh, Malachi chapter 1. And I'm going to try not to read too many scriptures tonight, but I, I think that uh, it's, it's necessary because uh, we just want to get away for, for, for a couple days from the opinions of man and see what the, what the Lord says in his word about where we are. <coughs> Look at verse 1, Malachi 1 verse 1, it says, the, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel or to the church by Malachi. And when I say Israel and the church, we've been grafted in. Many, if not all, that applies to Israel in the scriptures applies to us as the Gentile church. Okay? Because we, we've become one with the, you know, with the olive tree. Does that make sense? Yes. He says, the burden of the Lord, the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. Now, when the Lord addresses Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Abraham, he's talking about nations. Okay? Out of, out of Abraham came Isaac. Out of Isaac came uh, Jacob, who became Israel, who became a nation. Right? Yeah. Out of Esau came Moab, who became, who, who is, which is a nation. Okay? Moab, many places in our Bible, represents the flesh. Israel rep represents the spirit or, or that which is born of God. Okay? But it says, God says here that he hated Esau and he laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So God has no problem saying that he hates certain nations and even certain people that decide after knowing what's right to live their lives a certain way. God hates certain people. Now, how many of you have never heard that before? Okay, I feel better. So Leviticus 20, verse 22, verse 23. Verse 23 says, You shall not walk after the manner of the nation which I cast out before you, because they committed all these things, and therefore I hated them. But I said unto you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have what? Separated you from other people. Another word that could be used for that word separated is the word severed. In other words, when we came to the Lord, when the Lord made us born again, he severed, he cut us off from the customs, the ways, 
the mannerisms, the thought processes, the value system of the unsaved. He cut us off. He severed us from that. And that's how we are, are supposed to live. This is what holiness is about. The word holy, H-O-L-Y, basically means other than, right? For instance, God is holy. I am not. That means he's altogether not like me, right? His nature, the way he thinks, the way he operates is altogether different from how Humans operate, and how humans, that's how he can make a statement in Isaiah. He says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. He's altogether not like us. I, I think one of the things that we have done as preachers is that we have helped people to see God as a common man. When the whole time our role as preachers is to show the difference between what or who is holy and who is profane or, or wow, common. That's good. We're supposed to show the difference. There's supposed to be a difference. When the preacher gets up and preaches the word of the Lord, you and I are supposed to walk away with an understanding that God is holy and we are not. Does that make sense? But we don't have that by and large in this nation anymore. And we have embraced the customs, we have embraced without knowing it, the mannerisms. Uh, go, to, go to chapter um, 18, just two chapters to the left. We've embraced so much of the world that, that, that we're, we're, we've become blind to how we are as a church and where we are spiritually. We don't even know it. We don't even know that the reason why Katrina hit is because of wickedness in the land. And preachers are afraid now to stand up and say, oh, that was judgment. Not necessarily the judgment of God. It could have been. But I believe it was the judgment of the land purging itself from wickedness. Do you know that the Bible says in Romans 8, for example, that the whole earth groans in anticipation of the manifestation of, of, the, of the sons of God, right? Yeah. Right? If that's true, because the earth is waiting for redemption. So, in order for the earth to be redeemed or brought back into right status or, 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 or right order, man has to be who we were created to be. Because Jesus came to put back in order what Adam put in disorder. Yeah. When Adam was created, he was told by God, by the Creator, to have dominion over creation. Right? He gave creation over to the enemy. Romans 8, Paul says that he subjected creation to fallenness, basically. So when we become born again, we are expected to grow into a maturity so that creation can begin to work with the church again. Wow. We're going to look at that in Revelation if we have time. Everybody got Leviticus 18. 
Look at verse 22. Now, these, these are just, just some examples of why we are seeing so much hell in our nation. And it's going to get worse. The race relations is going to get worse. The corruption in government, more stuff is, is going to be exposed. We're going to see that. And if we have time, uh, Andrew, if it's okay, I'd like to share some prophetic things Absolutely. about uh, 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 some things that happen. And uh, some. I just want to share some stuff, okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right, verse 22, it says, the King James says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. The New King James reads it like this. It says, uh, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Why? It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. I don't know if you guys know this, but a couple of years ago, not even that long ago, there was the first official marriage, did you guys hear about this? In California, between a man and his dog. And it was sanctioned by the state. Right? Now, if a person does that in, 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 in the privacy of their own deal, it's still nasty. It's still damnable. But there's a great difference when a government sanctions this activity. When a government begins to make laws... That, that says that it's okay to live a certain way, that changes the game. And we're going to read why. It says, You shall not allow the dinner, nor shall any woman stand before an animal. We read that. It says, Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. Underscore that if you can. I am casting out before you. Look, because the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land does what? It vomits out its inhabitants. You see that? So when there's certain legislation in the land, if you keep reading, it says uh, in verse 26, it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor the, the, the strangers that st come in your borders. Um, verse 28, that the land spew you not out. Also, it, it, it's talking about when a land or a government sanctions certain activity. There is a response by the land itself because the land was created in righteousness. Creation was created in righteousness. But because the earth itself did not sin, listen, the earth is alive. Did you know that? Yeah. There's not one thing that the Lord created at the beginning that was dead. Not one thing. The water is alive. The soil is alive. The trees are alive. The hills are alive. That's how <laughs> Everything God created is, is a living thing. 
And so because it's living, it's affected either by righteousness or unrighteousness, just like you. You, because you are a living being, you are affected either by righteousness or by unrighteousness. Yeah. When unrighteousness happens in your house, it affects you. Conversely, when righteousness happens in your house, when you grow up in the, in the, the context of, of, of your household is, is that which is righteous, it gets on the inside of you and you begin to behave out of, of what the atmosphere of your home is. That's why it's important to raise your children in the fear of the Lord. That is an atmosphere that you must create in your household. That's good. That's an atmosphere you must create in your household. The fear of the Lord. Why? Because with the fear of the Lord, we learn how to walk in wisdom. Yeah. And we don't and, and, and wisdom is so important because most humans in the West, and I say most, that, that that's a tough word, but I have not seen it the other way. Most of us in the church in the West, we can't discern. The difference between right and wrong. We don't. We we know. We see things, and we know it's not right, but we don't know why. Right. <clears throat> Look again at verse twenty-eight. Verse twenty says. Uh, Twenty-six says, "You shall keep my statutes and my judgments." Verse twenty-eight says, so that the land does not vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. This is why um, this is why it's important to stand against things like abortion. This is why it's important to stand against things like homosexuality. Not that you're trying to legislate morality necessarily, but you're trying to push back uh, uh, what do you call that? You're trying to push back lawlessness and keep it out of the land. That's, that's why Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because salt keeps away corruption. So you know, when he made that statement, they didn't have a refrigeration system. Yeah. So they would salt their meat and stick it in certain places, and the meat would, would keep uh, uh, the salt would keep the meat from from becoming corrupted. It would keep it from corrosion, decay, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So when Jesus makes that statement, he's really saying that our function as the church is to push back the things that darkness tries to push on us, mm-hmm. and because. We live in the land. We must be territorial in our thinking. And not just go to church. You follow what I'm saying? We must be territorial because we've got a responsibility of the land that we live in. That's why it's important to vote. Not that we're necessarily... and, And let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a nationalistic problem. For the record. Here's what I mean. Prophets are subjected to one government. One government. Yeah, we keep the laws of the land. 
But prophets are subjected to one government. And that's Jesus, the Jewish king. Right? Yes. So our allegiance is, is only to him. So whenever you hear prophet talking about the nation from a nationalistic standpoint, as if God has a special covenant with America, you know and you can mark that, that person and beware of what he said or she said. Okay? This is tough, but it's the truth. Yeah. The Lord only made really a covenant, a true, co a, a, an eternal covenant with one ethnicity. There's only one nation that came out of his loins, and that's Israel. I know that's tough. The Muslims don't like it either, but it's the truth. <laughs> so how... How do we live in light of what the Lord says in Leviticus? How do we live? How do we align our lives so that we do all we can to make sure we are in holiness? How do we do that? Well, there's a couple things that I, I think we can do. Um... Look at uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and then, for the sake of time, if you can go ahead and get Psalm 101. I want to look at 1 Peter because um, I think it's important to, to, to understand that holiness is both uh, an Old and a New Testament idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the grace of God, uh, the grace of God, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of ideas about what grace is, right? right. Yeah. I want to give you a simple definition of grace. If you can, you can write this down. The grace of God is this. This, this is my own little working definition. The grace of God is the power of God on your soul to obey the commands of God in your spirit. Yes. It's the power of God on your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions to obey the commands of God in your spirit. This is what Peter calls the true grace of God. Right? I think it's 1 Peter chapter 5. He talks about the true grace of God. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. Um... Verse 12, he says, um, By Sylvanus, uh, or Sylvanus, a faithful brother to you, as I suppose I have written, briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. So the true grace of God is supposed to posture you in, certain, in, in a certain way. Um, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace of God is supposed to empower us to live a certain way. Right? Much of what we hear about grace is really mercy. Okay? The whole unmerited favor. And yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a definition of the word. But holistically, grace has nothing to do or little to do with God overlooking your sin. 
if that was all grace was, then that's really not grace. Because if he said in the Old Testament, we just read it, if he said for us to be holy because he's holy, how then can he expect us to be holy? He said it both in the Old Testament and then Peter reaffirms that in the New Testament. How can he expect us to live a certain standard without giving us power to do so? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. So we live holy by the grace of God. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, what verse do I want here? Verse 15, verse 14, verse 13. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Listen to this. He says, be sober. Everybody say, be sober. Be sober. And hope to the end for what? For the grace that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to pause right there. When he says hope to the end, that, that means as, as much as you can, stretch out your heart in expectation of what's to come to you when Jesus is revealed to you. Now, most, I, I, the most, most times I've heard that passage mentioned, I've heard it mentioned in, uh, uh, in the context of Jesus' second coming. And that's true to a measure, but Jesus said, if, 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 if we love him, right, he says he and the Father would come in unto us and they would manifest themselves to us, right? Yeah. So the whole, and plus the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, highest responsibility in the earth is to reveal Jesus. So when Peter talks about the revelation of Jesus right here in this passage, <coughs> he's talking about what we can know of him in this life right now. Not the second coming. Right? The time that we spend with him, now how do we know this? Because uh, 2 Peter 3.18 says that we have to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as we grow in our knowledge of him, our intimate knowledge of him, we receive more grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. When we receive more grace, it keeps us in holiness. When, as, as we are in holiness, we have the power to resist sin. We have the power to resist corruption. We have the power to be the salt of the earth. Right? This is why grace is important. But this is why also it's important for the enemy to undermine what grace is and yeah. to raise up preachers in the earth that preaches a false message of grace. Look, look, look hold, hold your finger there. I didn't mean to get into all of this. But look at Jude, for example. Look at Jude. Jude is the book before Revelation. Uh. 
let me find what I'm looking for. Look at verse 4. Jude says, For there are certain men, crept in unaware, or secretly, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They are ungodly men. Look at what they do. Turning the grace of God into a license to sin or lascivious, uh, lasciviousness, or that is lawlessness. That means, you know, Paul said this. Paul said that we don't live under the law, right? But we live under grace, right? We don't live under the law, but we live under grace, okay? Here's what that looks like. Paul also talked about Abraham. He said Abraham was declared righteous because he believed God. That word believe is a bad translation of that thought. Really what he's saying is, Abraham heard God's voice, he obeyed what God said, and God declared him righteous. Yeah. So, so when, when, when we talk about the grace of God, again, God gives us power on our souls to obey what he speaks to our spirits. Listen, this is why prayer is so important. Yeah. And this is why the church... And please hear my heart. I'm, I'm not at all. I love the church with all my heart. I love the church because it belongs to the Lord. But this is why the church in our day is so powerless. We stop. Prayer is like the, 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 we don't even do it. <laughs> That's what we're trying to say. The church doesn't pray. You know, and because the church doesn't pray, the church doesn't have true grace. Does that make sense? Because we don't pray, we don't have true grace. But God is calling us back to that place, and he's calling us to put prayer as a priority in, in our church again. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, I was at 1 Peter. Again, verse 13, he says, Gird up the loins of your mouth. He says, Be sober in our thinking. Be sober. And we can't be sober without knowing and understanding the word of the Lord. Right? right. Be alert. Be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the formal lust, the former lust in your ignorance, how you used to be, how you were without Christ. He says, don't be like that. Don't continue in those sorts of practices, he says. He says, but, verse 15, as he who called you is what? Don't be afraid of that word. Say it loud. As he who called you is what? Holy. Holy. So be you what? Holy. Holy in every way of your life. That means there's no compartmentalization, if, if I'm saying that right, in the things of God. I don't mean to be super spiritual, 
But what I do mean is, in every way of our thinking as it pertains to our lifestyle, there's a certain standard of holiness that we're, just, we're supposed to live by. Right? It's not do's or don'ts or rights or wrongs, but it's purity. It's a big difference. It's purity. It's holiness. It's purity. It's other than. I remember a song um, Jason Upton wrote years ago, and he got it from Peter, where he says, uh, I think the song is called Will of God. He says, the world may think I'm crazy when I don't run with them. He says, but it's plain idolatry when God can't have all of me. That, to me, is a great picture of what holiness looks like. Holiness is when God has all of you. Perversion and corrupt preachers give you messages to make you, be, to make you feel like it's okay to share yourself with the world. Right? Yeah. The Bible calls that whoredom and adultery. It's adultery when we give part of ourselves to the world and the rest of ourselves. I wish I would come home and see some other man touching on my wife. I really don't wish I would. <laughs> but, but you get my point. Listen, God loves the church with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he will never tell us to do it if he doesn't do it. God loves himself. He fellowships with himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit love each other with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. But He never tells us to do anything that He doesn't do. <coughs> he tells us to love Him with everything because He loves Him with everything. And He loves us with everything. The Son loves the Father with everything. The Holy Spirit loves the Son with everything. The Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit with everything. And there's no dissemination. There's no discord in their fellowship. And God calls us to be like them. He calls us to operate, to exist like the Godhead. In perfect holiness. Now, in this life, that's not sinless perfection. Because we still have this thing called flesh that we got to put on the cross every day. Amen. amen. It's okay to say amen to that. <laughs> we're all jacked up. But there's hope because the more we are able to crucify the flesh with its affections and lust, the more we can become conformed to the image of God's Son. Amen? Amen. I know y'all wanted to hear some predictive stuff, and we'll get into all of that, but this right here is important. It's good. What good is it to prophesy to people who don't live holy? Amen. That's affirming their corruption. Yeah. And really pushing them into the portal of hell. Now I'm not saying that you all don't live home. That's not what, what I mean. I know you do. But my point is, this is where the church is. And many of you have loved ones, family members, that may say that they're, they're saved. They go to church even. And give offerings and tithes. But when you look at the life that they live, they're not holy. And if they're not holy, they don't belong to the Lord. The Lord, he will not tell us to touch not the unclean thing unless he doesn't touch the unclean thing. Yeah. And if we are unclean, he won't touch us. 
if we're claiming abuse, people, I know, you know, we've all been healed from leprosy and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. But we cannot profess to be Christians that know God, but we're unholy. He said in 1 Corinthians, I believe, one of those, he said, touch not the unclean thing and I'll receive it. And I'll be a father to you. But if we're unholy, we're unclean. Anyway, I'm going to get off of that before somebody throws something at me up here. All right. Look at Psalm 101. I want to talk a little bit now about David's resolve to live separated from the Lord. David's resolve to live separated to the Lord. Look at verse 2. David says, I will behave myself wisely in a devoted way. Oh, when will you come to me? He's talking to the Lord. <coughs> he says, I will walk within my house with a devoted heart. Let's just keep reading. Look at verse 3. Look at this. He says, in my house, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You see that? Does everybody see that? Yeah. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Let's just keep reading. He says, I hate the work. He uses the word God uses. I hate the work of those who turn aside. It shall not stick to me. What is he saying there? Those who are not wholehearted in their devotion, he says, I, I hate how they live. <coughs> and I'm going to make sure that their ways don't rub off on me, is what he said. Uh, the New Testament says something like this. Uh, evil, bad company corrupts good morals. Right? It's the same thought. Now, my purpose for, for sharing all this is tomorrow I'm going to talk tomorrow night. You, you don't want to miss tomorrow night. That's kind of my advertisement. <laughs> but tomorrow night we're going to talk about prayer and an open heaven. Right? We're going to talk about what happens when we pray corporately and individually, but primarily corporately, what happens. We're going to look at what the Bible says, the realities of an open heaven over the places where we pray and what happens because of an open heaven. And I believe God wants to heal bodies and do all sorts of things uh, uh, tomorrow night. But I, I believe more than that, He wants to give us an understanding of what He wants us to walk in. And I believe the work of this, this gathering right here, Psalm 130, excuse me, 132, and, uh, and, and how David uh, set himself he said that he would not sleep, he wouldn't rest until he found a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the, for the mighty God of Jacob. In other words, he set himself to pray until he got an open heaven and God comes down in a geographic location. So we want to talk about that tomorrow. 
And uh, I, I get excited every time I think about that. But there's some prerequisites to this, and holiness is one of them. And, and you know, I, I heard a man say this. He said, uh, he says, uh, he was talking to the prayer movement of which I'm a part. He says, many of you spend a lot of time praying. He says, but most of you don't spend enough time getting ready to pray. He says, because the purpose of prayer is to be heard, but in order to be heard, we must be eligible. And that's what this right here that we're talking about, that's what this is about. Have you ever considered that as a nation, we are no longer eligible for 2 Chronicles 7.14? That doesn't apply to us right now. As, as you know, when God gives us a, a window to repent, that window doesn't stay open forever. Amen. The Bible says that we are to call upon God. We're to seek Him while He may be found, and call upon Him while He's near. That implies that that's a set time or a window of opportunity. The Lord just doesn't hang around because he's, you know, got low self-esteem issues and he just needs the church to come and find him and he's just going to hang out in this spot until we find him. He's not like that. He's, he's, he is uh, perfectly okay with who he is. We're like that because we're needy. But he's not like that. And so he gives us a window of opportunity to seek him and find him. But at some point, that window closes. At some point, when we persist in sin, either as a nation, as a church in a nation, the, the, the window of opportunity closes. And what does that mean? That means we're in trouble. But even in the trouble, in the judgments that are to come, there are pockets of mercy. And those pockets of mercy exist in physical geographic locations where God's presence is. And God's presence is on people. Revelation 21 says that the habitation of God is with men. I'm, I'm going to close the Bible because I, I, I want to share some stuff real quick. Um, I was sharing with Andrew earlier That I remember distinctly the night of the elections, uh, November 2008. Are you okay with the phone? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Well, yeah, can you turn this off? Can, yeah, can we turn this off? Uh, the, the night of the elections, 